So we're recording this podcast in the week that Volkswagen CEO in the US, Michael Horn, appeared before Congress and admitted that his company had rigged 11 million American cars to cheat diesel emissions testing. His British counterpart, Paul Willis, faced the Transport Select Committee and, as expected, a tough grilling by MPs. Now, VW deny a corporate conspiracy and point the finger at a handful of rogue employees. But even if that does prove to have been the case, the scandal, and others like it, raises crucial questions for organisations of every sort about business ethics and who should take responsibility for embedding and monitoring ethical business behaviour. Volkswagen, of course, is not alone. Walmart, Tesco and Amazon have all been hit by scandals variously involving accounting irregularities, bribery and or harsh treatment of employees. And this issue isn't limited to global players. Responsibility can be hard to pin down, but HR must have a role. And today we're discussing what that role is and how HR should play it. Now with me, I have Philippa Fosterback. She's Director of the Institute of Business Ethics. David Jackson is now Associate Director HR at Manchester Metropolitan University. He worked directly for three HR Directors General during his time at the Department for Work and Pensions. And Laura Harrison is the CIPD's own Director, People and Strategy. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, before we turn to kind of wider questions, I think... You know, I would be very fascinated to hear your take, all of you, on the Volkswagen situation. It was a surprise, wasn't it? Philippa? Yes, yes, indeed, I think it was a surprise. Um, but I'm always uh, taken by the answer that the corporate uh, tends to have. It was a few bad apples. Um, yes. They never think to think and uh, look at the, whether or not it's a rotten barrel. And I think anything like this actually speaks to the culture of the organisation. Obviously, um, it perhaps was one of fear. People couldn't speak up and actually say, presumably, um, our diesel vehicles will not meet US emission standards and not come clean. They had to find a workaround. Uh, So I I was very surprised. David? I think the fact it's happened somewhere like Volkswagen, uh, which is such a, or was such a reputable brand, such a, a high performer on the world stage, is interesting because I think it reminds us again how hard it is for employees within organisations to perhaps challenge, to question behaviours or decisions. Um, and I think we have to go into this in our response to it, uh, accepting it is very difficult and what can we as a profession do to help? Yeah, I mean, Laura, it must be about the culture. I think it is about the culture um, and it's surprising and yet in a way unsurprising. Organisations have become incredibly big, very complex, very messy um, and if people on the ground or working with the systems or at the coalface or with the customer don't have a route through to the decision makers, have no means by which to express their concerns, then it's, yeah, it's, I suppose in a way it's not that surprising. Obviously ethical business conduct... I mean, that covers governance, its culture, as we've said, its behaviour. I mean, what role do you think HR should play in this? We've been looking at this a lot recently in the CIPD. And when we started the conversation about principles and ethics in the HR profession, um, we'd often come across the conversation where people would say, well, you know... I am interested in ethics, but I actually work in a commercial environment. So can I be ethical? You know, is, is there a conflict there? And I suppose we, we sort of play that back in the context of professionalism, I think. So you wouldn't speak to the CFO, I don't think, in, in a large corporation and say, well, you know, I don't really expect you to be ethical because you're commercial. You know, we don't, we don't expect that. So I think um, 
ethics have a significant role to play um, in HR, building that sort of ethical competence, that sort of framework for, for decision making. But I think it's perhaps not something that we've paid enough attention to recently, partly because of the HR profession's desire to prove itself as a viable commercial partner in the business. Yeah, I mean, there must be a tension there, mustn't there? Because as you say, yeah. this has been a big imperative yeah. for HR as a profession. Yeah. But there is this very real, very potential conflict around business mm. um, targets and, yeah. and culture. And, you know, how, how on earth do, yeah. you, do you deal with both? Where should your priority lie? And, and, and I suppose there's two different ways of looking at it, isn't there? One is a more sort of... Um, best practice way of looking at it, I think. So the CIPD sits on um, swathes of research that demonstrates that greater productivity comes from more engaged cultures, organisations where the people are led better, more effectively, where they have more voice. So if you want to take a sort of um, purely commercial slant on it and you want to look at the long-term sustainability of businesses, then it seems as though the, the evidence tells us that you've got to look at the culture. Another way of looking at it is a much more humanistic way, a much more human-centred way, which is actually, well, are people a means to your business end or are people and their well-being an end in itself? You know, if you look at most corporates and how they talk about their purpose, many will say they exist to serve multiple stakeholders. So, you know, there's a little bit, I think, in the HR profession's responsibility to hold businesses to that responsibility to all its stakeholders, not just the shareholders and not or owners or in a, or in a very short-term sense. But if we're saying organisations have to have a conscience, even if they're overtly commercial... Where should that conscience lie? I think if you expect that conscience to lie in a specific place in the organisation, we've probably missed the point. This needs to be across the whole organisation. So the question for me is what role does HR play in helping to get to a position in which people can talk about those issues in a more comfortable way so people learn how to challenge and discuss and accept that this is complex? And if HR gets things wrong, what it sometimes does is try and simplify very, very complex issues into procedures, into rules, into uh, very structured, neat models that don't reflect the complexity of, of modern business and challenges. From what you're saying, I mean, it doesn't sound like you you think HR's played this role very well to date. I don't think HR has played the role particularly well, but I think expectations are changing, to be fair, um, and the function has to change with it. I think if you look at a lot of what HR has been seen to be valuable in, in terms of uh, providing processes which are fair, and they're fair because the rules are applied to people in the same way in, in different situations, the test when you're thinking like that is, have we followed what we normally do? Have we followed the rules? What you're not thinking about is the, the full uh, complexity in all the issues in the current situation, the current debates. And I think HR has perhaps narrowed where it should have been opening up conversations. Philip, you deal with organisations of all sorts. Obviously, you're not just dealing with HR directors, you're dealing with all sorts of board members and CEOs. What, what is the sense you get of, of where they feel this responsibility lies or what they need to be doing? Most of the large companies have actually got this separate function that looks at ethics. It might be tied with compliance, it might be separate. But, but I think I, I would throw back the challenge because I see no tension at all with commerciality at all. You know, our, our strapline is actually doing business ethically makes for better business. And that is proven on, on every level, as Laura was saying. But it's, it's actually getting it into the, into the business um, framework, into the mindset and the DNA of the people who are doing the business. But if we set aside the question of legality and compliance, 
there must be times in a commercial organisation where there is a tension between something that's strictly ethical and something that will be to the commercial benefit of the organisation. That, that will happen every day. And the organisation has to make the, the choices. Uh, there will be direction from the, from the board on the, on the bigger choices about, you know, do we offshore, do we outsource, all of the, you know, our marketing campaigns, what are they going to Public look like? Public behaviour. Yes, but there's day-to-day behaviour, obviously, interpersonal behaviour, if there's bullying or harassment of any sort. So that goes on um, all the time, and, and that is where individuals need to be uh, given some guidance, usually around a code of ethics, so it's a framework that's produced, so that they know what to do if they're facing these dilemmas. But even more important is actually you know, know who to speak to. If you can't speak to your manager, who do I speak to? I mean, there's a difficulty there. As you say, a lot of larger organisations have a function which is about ethics. Mm. But um, whoever is in charge of ethics is a paid employee whose remuneration is set by the board. And, and I think we saw that with the Walmart scandal in Mexico, didn't we, around bribery, that there was no trust in the ethics function because people took the view they weren't about to blow the whistle to someone who was paid by the board who presumably had a role to play in the problem in the first place. So how do you get around that? Well, the, the ethics function is usually the, the function that manages the process. You know, every individual in an, in an organisation is responsible for ethics, usually led from the, the board and particularly the CEO, of course. And that's when it becomes about example, do as I do or do as I say. So everybody has a responsibility. Is there a big role here around short-term business objectives? For sure. You spoke of tensions earlier. I mean, obviously, there's tensions between pleasing different stakeholders, so be it owners, customers, um, and your people, critically, for for the HR function. But there's also tension in in short-term and long-term. And that's clearly particularly difficult for public companies, and, and I think this is where um, bringing data and insight to the table is so important, you know, and this is where HR has a significant role to play in showing that the role that the, the talents of the people in the organisation can play in, in taking the organisation through to long-term objectives um, that kind of supersede what, whatever it is that you need to do in the next quarter. Yes, because, I mean, it's the long-term management of people, their expectations of how long they're going to be with the organisation, yeah. where they're going to be when they yeah. leave. I mean, all this must play into those yeah. decisions. And and that is a challenge because, um, you know, historically, where organisations have provided a degree of stability and identity, that ability to sort of deploy an idea of this is how we do things around here is easier. When you look at the average tenure of a chief exec in the FTSE 100 being four to five years, um, I suppose, makes it, I think, a little bit more challenging to really build that sense of sort of corporate identity and what's what's right and what's wrong. And I suppose I would say this, wouldn't I, because I'm here from the CIPD, but I think that's where professions have a role to play. You know, we all look for meaning, we all look for identity, we all want to be part of a tribe. Um, and so, uh, m- many of our ethical judgments come from that. And so um, I think the professions have a role to play in providing that stability, which isn't going to come from the organisation of the future, in fact, doesn't now. David, it's important to remember, isn't it, that we've been talking about heavy hitters, Amazon and Tesco and the rest, but these issues, it is very much about data. What sort of dilemmas are people encountering? I think the most common dilemma people are encountering is is whether or not we challenge when we feel uncomfortable. Um, There are all sorts of pressures on people, whether that's job security, whether it's career prospects, uh, how long we are in an organisation. And are we comfortable being a, a voice around a leadership table that will dissent. I mean, high-paid senior people um, can make decisions in a, in a slightly different world to, to the rest of the people lower down the tree. I know, Philippa, you have got a very interesting app 
that you've launched, which is for everyone, isn't it, who, who faces this sort of decision-making. Tell, tell us a bit about that. Yes, it's, uh, it's called the Say No Toolkit. It's a giant decision tree. It came in and is, uh, can be considered as part of the adequate procedures under the UK Bribery Act. It's uh, free to download for anybody to use. It's just um, www.saynotoolkit.net. It's very simple, but it takes you through a whole series of questions and at the end we'll say either say no, say yes, ask or report. And it brings us to the question of accountability, doesn't it? I mean, without wishing to get too deep into finger-pointing, there is the question, isn't there? And I think particularly since the banking crisis, a lot of discussion about who has been held accountable. And we haven't seen many individuals held accountable for a lot of the scandals we've been seeing in the news over the last five to eight years. Should the finger be pointed at board-level HR in future? If we're saying this is where you know HR needs to lead, does HR also carry the can? So I would say that um, HR doesn't carry the can for specific corporate failures unless there are specific actions that the HR function has has taken um, to cause that. But what I would say HR has to be accountable for is the development of healthy cultures, of healthy leadership, and also, as, as David says, of surfacing where that isn't working. And, of course, that's reliant upon really understanding the organisation. So it's reliant upon um, having a real commitment to the voice of employees in organisations. And, again, you know, we're into another tension because if you want to demonstrate that you serve the business, at times that can mean that your primary stakeholder is, of course, your owners or shareholders. But if you're not listening to the people in the organisation, and it's harder and harder to do that because of fragmentation and it's not the way that trade unions operate and, you know, every voice is individual, um, then you're not really going to have that insight to deliver on that accountability. So we're coming to the end of our time, but I do, I think, want to ask just some practical advice really for HRs listening to this at whatever uh, whatever level and I think we can assume the vast majority of people hearing this will not be HR directors if they're thinking you know they want to push towards taking greater ethical responsibility towards moving to the sort of things we've been talking about what should they do so where, where this really comes alive for me and you know I've got a background working in HR is in the day-to-day decisions that you're making where you know life is messy and it doesn't adhere with the policy So, you know, we would have to have very, very long policies um, for people to be able to find the answer always in the policy, you know. So someone wants to take some time off to do something, but it's not strictly within, say, the time that they're allowed off during pre-maternity. And the policy doesn't give you the answer. You've got to use your judgment. And the first point, I would say, is to ask yourself why. What was that policy trying to affect in the first place? You know, if you get back to forget about the rules, ask yourself what the intention behind the rule was. The spirit of the rules. The spirit of the rules. And particularly, you know, it, it comes down to the idea of character. Ask yourself, what is the right thing to do here? What is the thing that makes me feel like I'm behaving like the best possible version of myself or the best possible version of a leader I've seen? Because that's something that we can all build in ourselves. It's a muscle that I think we don't talk about enough. I think if you're operating at a a senior level, so if you're an HR director or perhaps you're sort of a senior business partner leadership team, the practical steps you can take are to help that team to learn how to debate and challenge confidently, to open things up, to talk about really difficult issues and to get the team comfortable and to feel well supported in taking a completely different view to the one the CEO has taken or what seems to be the compelling commercial decision. Philip. 
Well, I would actually take it back a stage further to the values of the organisation. And I think actually framing both of what you've both said in the context of the values of the organisation to bring them alive for all members of staff so that they are actually being lived and they understand what these you know, four or five words actually mean in reality uh, when the rubber hits the road and being able to demonstrate that. And, and to be able to do it in also to get the talk going, getting this sort of open culture and discussion, just doing a few very simple, easy things like having, you know, small scenarios that can be used at the beginning of a team meeting, you know, at the end of it, what would you do? And so you open up the, the, the culture and the discussion point that you were saying, David, at the team level. So if something does come up, then you know, you know, people will talk about it because they're used to talking about these things. You, you've got to exercise the muscle, as, as Laura was saying, and I think that is the most practical way, an easy way of doing it without any cost or ten minutes of people's time. So less clinging to the rule book and more holding on to your principles. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks all very much indeed. Thank you.